Today on Abounding Grace from Ed Taylor. It is God's sovereign will and purposes and who he establishes as spiritual leaders in his church. He's the one that puts up and he's the one that puts down. And I believe that God has always been and is now looking for men and women that are surrendered to him. I mean, think about it. God is looking for pastors, not professionals. He's looking for ministers, but not masters. He's looking for shepherds. He's looking for servants and not lords. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It really is a real delight to open and study the Word of God each and every day with you on Abounding Grace. You might make your way over to 1 Peter 5, as we'll begin in just a moment. Today, we're going to take notice of what God looks for in a leader. Whether you're a pastor, an elder, a small group leader in the church, this is valuable encouragement to receive and apply here in 1 Peter. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 5 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Spiritual Leadership is a Sacred Trust. I want you to remember that phrase, a sacred trust. It's not something that you take upon yourself. It's not something that's just given away by those in positions of authority. Spiritual leadership is given to men and women by God himself. It's a sacred trust. It's not something you can take upon yourself. You You could say sacred trust, another word for that is a privilege. Serving as a leader in the church is a privilege. Or another word you could use is a stewardship. Now, I know we don't use that word very much, but a steward is someone that is in charge of another's goods, uh, another's possessions. So when you think of spiritual leadership as a stewardship, you remember that the church doesn't belong to you. The church isn't yours. It doesn't belong to man. It doesn't belong to an organization. The church belongs to God was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and all of us belong to him. You could say, as as you call it a sacred trust, you could remember in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, if you look at verse 10, it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And remember, a steward being responsible for someone else's goods, remember the responsibility in the Bible, according to Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says in chapter 4, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, and here's the key, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful, that we be found faithful. So when serving God's people is no longer viewed as a privilege, or a sacred trust, that's when men have a tendency to corrupt the position of authority. And that's it. Men corrupt positions of authority. Women corrupt positions of authority. It's so evident that this is where many go wrong. Some think they just deserve to lead, that it's just theirs by right, somehow that they've earned it. But spiritual leadership like salvation is a gift that's received. 
It's a gift that's given by God. Uh, Hold your place here. I want you to see this in your Bible. It's so important. Turn over to Psalm 75. I want you to see this when when it comes to spiritual leadership. Psalm 75. I want to draw your attention there to verse 6. Psalm 75, verse 6. So important. I don't want you to forget this. The Bible says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge, and he puts down one, and he exalts another. It is God's sovereign will and purposes and who he establishes as spiritual leaders in his church. He's the one that puts up, and he's the one that puts down. And I believe that God has always been and is now looking for men and women that are surrendered to him. I mean, think about it. God is looking for pastors, not professionals. He's looking for ministers, but not masters. He's looking for shepherds and not servants. He's looking for servants and not lords. You know, as a church, it's not a gathering a crowd that matters. It's very easy to gather a crowd. It's very easy to get people together. It's very easy to promise such and such and everybody shows up. But a man that lays down his life for the flock, a shepherd that follows in the footsteps of Jesus, that's much more rare. The reality when it comes to spiritual leadership, and don't be offended by this at all, it's just the truth. God doesn't need any of us. (laughs) He doesn't need any of us. He chooses to use us, but it's not like we're the only ones in the world that he could use. And he, he, could, get, he could accomplish his will perfectly if he did it himself. <laughs> he could accomplish his will perfectly if he commanded angels to do his bidding, because angels always do his bidding. But by grace, he's chosen to use us. He's condescended down to our level so that we might cooperate with him. It's an honor But if you look back, you look in the mirror, and you you look at yourself in spiritual leadership, we can all agree with what Paul told the Corinthians. He looked at the church in Corinth, and what did he say in chapter 1? For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but what? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put down, excuse me, to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not. Why? To bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence. When we come to chapter 5, remember the context that Peter, Pastor Peter, is writing to a group of hassled, scattered believers under significant, serious persecution. This particular persecution is primarily coming from the government, being blamed for burning down Rome, being blamed for every wrong deed. It's the Christian's fault. And as you read 1 Peter, you must remember that this is counsel, this is encouragement, this is exhortation in the midst of great trial, great unfairness, I mean, how many of us tonight could say, man, what's happening in my life right now, it's not fair. What's happening in my life right now, it's not just. Uh, Even some could go so far, it's not the right thing to do, but even some could go so far and say, you know, if I was in charge, I would make it right. When in reality, your view of vengeance is not God's view of vengeance. You know, you think you can make it right, but there'd always be a little bit that you could get ahead, just a little bit more. 
so that you could have the upper hand. That's just the carnality of our flesh. Pastor Peter, as he's winding down his letter, he addresses leadership. And you'll notice in verse 1, the elders. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, and then he begins to give in some instruction. So notice, Peter addresses this as an exhortation. You wouldn't expect to be exhorted in the midst of trials, but that's one of the times you need it the most. One of the times when you're not thinking clearly. Trials have a tendency to confuse us. They have a tendency to make us very inward, self-focused. And when you're inward and self-focused, you need a strong word or a strong encouragement. And here they are, they're on the run, they're upset, it's unfair, they've lost everything. And so here he says, you guys that are leaders, you elders, I want to exhort you because I too am a fellow elder. Peter delivers this word not as above them, as if he's in some superior authority. He's not over the leaders, but notice he says he's a fellow elder. And unlike a popular teaching within the Roman Catholic Church, Peter does not assert himself as a pope here. He doesn't assert himself as the absolute authority in Christendom because he wasn't then and he isn't now. The position of pope is something that was created by man-made religion. It doesn't exist in the Bible. Even Peter, who is ascribed to be the first pope by the Roman Catholic Church, says here, I'm just one of you guys. I'm a fellow elder. I have a position of leadership just like you. Now, the word elder, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can write the Greek word. Remember, the New Testament's written in the Greek language. The word here is presbyteros. That may be a familiar word because there are denominations that are known as Presbyterian. We'll get to that in a second. But the Presbyterian church is named that because of the type of leadership they've chosen. And I'll explain those in a second. But next to this word also, you could write the word pastor. You could write the word elder. And you can write the word overseer because the different Greek words that are used in the New Testament to describe those words are all used interchangeably by the Holy Spirit. They're all used interchangeably. The word presbyteros here is a word that describes the man, a mature man. Not necessarily in age, but in spiritual maturity. When Paul writes to Timothy and he speaks about overseer, when he says anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a good work in 1 Timothy 3, that's the Greek word episkopos. And episkopos, again, might sound familiar because there's another denomination that described themselves as what? The Episcopal Church. And they are chosen that word because primarily to describe their leadership, the way they, the way they have chosen to lead. When episkopos is used, while presbyteros, this word describes the man, the word episkopos describes the ministry. It gives an overview. It means overseeing episkopos. It means to oversee. Not overbearing, not lording over, but watching over. It could also be translated in English, bishop. When you hear the word bishop, it's a, um, a man that has oversight over a section or over a group, episkopos. And then the word pastor or shepherd describes the methodology, how it's to be done. It describes how you're to feed and tend the flock. And as you read through the New Testament, you'll see these words used interchangeably, which has led to some confusion in the church today 
Even some groups will say, well, there's so many denominations, so the church is so fractured, and because there's so many denominations, they're all wrong, and we alone are right. That's not true. There's variety within the church. And certainly there's confusion. Certainly there is uh, disagreement. But a quick look at the scriptures, you can see where you would land and how there are biblical models even if we disagree. So, for example, if you're taking notes, I want you to consider within Christendom the different ways leadership is established in the church. And I'll, reveal, uh, I'll share with you how we oversee here at Calvary. First of all, there's the Presbyterian form of church government. The Presbyterian form of church government. There you have a plurality of elders ruling with co-equal authority within the church. So when you have a Presbyterian type of leadership, you have a group of men that collectively have to agree in order to go forward. Secondly, there's the Episcopal type of church leadership. This is where one person, the bishop, oversees many other leaders and churches throughout a specific region and gives direction in certain segments of that area, that church. Thirdly, you might have heard, and maybe you came from a congregational-led church, a congregational-led church. This is more of a church leadership style that was invented more recently that has to do with like the current political culture because with congregational-led church, everything in the church is ratified by a vote. The whole church has to vote on every single thing and nothing really moves forward with a whatever, without full approval, which varies from different churches. Sometimes it's 100%, sometimes it's 90%, but you may have come from a church where nothing ever happened until they voted, and since nobody really ever agreed on anything, nothing really ever happened. And that's a congregate. That's real more common here in the United States because of our democratic form of government. And it's just spilled into the church to say, well, if we have a democratic form of human government, then we should probably have a democratic form of church government. Then there's another model that we would call today pastor-led, a pastor-led or a leader-led. It's, it's really similar to an Episcopal form where there is a leader. And you see that example throughout the scriptures. You see Moses leading uh, ordained of God, you see Paul leading, and then Paul saying, Timothy, I want you to lead, and telling Titus, I want you to lead, and we held to what's known as a pastor-led form of government here in our church, and this is where God raises up a man to pastor his flock, raising up spiritual leadership within a local body where there are elders, and the pastor is accountable to the elders, but God uses the pastor as a leader to lead forward in the church. And that's been the form of our government since we moved here to plant the church. To the, from the time when we were 20 or 30 people uh, attending the church to now the size uh, that ebbs and flows in our congregation today. We are a pastor-led church where the pastor and the pastors are accountable to a spiritual board of elders in our church. Now, there's another model uh, out there that that is super popular right now. I don't know what's going to happen with this new generation. I hope it goes away completely. But you could call this the CEO business model of the church, where the church is run like a business. Now, understand any church organization, there are things behind the scenes that require business. You got to pay your bills. You know, you got to take care of the business side. That's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is a church that's looking for 
the church to be run like a business, grown like a business, expanded like a business, and there are business decisions that supersede spiritual decisions. And when wisdom is sought, it's sought from the latest business trends instead of what the word of God has to say on the matter. And it looks like and sounds like the world instead of looking countercultural. The, the, the segment of the church that made this really popular, some of you may be familiar or may not be familiar, but the, the segment of the church that's made this popular would be the segment known as the seeker-friendly church. They really started off with a CEO type of model and a business model. Really, the, the essence of the foundation of the seeker movement was to tell the pastor to go and find out what the neighborhood wants in a church and then plant a church just like that. So, so they were really, you really taught. I remember reading this book many years ago. I read it because it was popular. And, and, and really the model was, go, and, and this is how the world, the world would say, what is the, find out what the customer wants and make sure you give it to the customer uh, because the customer is always right. But how that translates into the church is, hey, go around and ask unbelievers what kind of church they want and then maybe they'll come. The problem is, is that often the type of church that an unbeliever wants is not the church that God wants. <laughs> and so it never really gains the kind of traction. And, and over the years, you know, in the years that I've been in a ministry, I have, seen, I have seen these types of churches be used mightily of God because it often is an introduction to Christianity. It often is something that grabs our attention. They are truly born again. But because the rep repetition of the simplicity of their format and running like a business, there's really not a depth of discipleship. Or I've watched this an another way that this church has, ha uh, this type of church has hurt the body of Christ is it runs people into the ground trying to keep up with what everybody wants. And if they would just stop, maybe you're listening, you're part of a, C a CEO, seeker-friendly church on the radio right now. If you would just stop and ask the Lord what he wants, a big burden would be off your shoulders. Now, that might mean your church is mad at you, um, but they're already mad at you. They just haven't told you yet, so don't worry about it. It's just people are people. We all go through things. There's always a frustration level among us because our problem is what? We get our eyes off the Lord, right? Any pastor that's frustrated with his church, his eyes are off the Lord. Any church that's frustrated with their pastor, I don't mean sin, you know, I don't mean rank sin, but just frustrated, you know, I didn't like that message, I don't. it's just because your eyes are not on the Lord. Because God, when our eyes are on the Lord, we move together forward and we make progress for the things of God. So there are varieties of ways the, the church is overseen. And I am very comfortable with the pastor-led model. And, you know, everybody has their, their criticism, especially toward the pastor-led model. But here's, here is what I've found to be true. And I, and I ask you to pray about it and pray for the churches as you drive through town. Because I find that any biblical form of church government, one that fits within the pale of, of the New Testament, different models, because I think you can find a presbytery. I think you can find an elder model. They're, they make good biblical arguments for an elder model leadership. I've seen good biblical models for an Episcopal. Haven't seen too much. There are a couple of times where the congregation takes votes, but they're always wrong in the, New, in the Bible. So, you know, you think about, uh, should we go into the promised land? There are giants in the land. 40 years of wandering. God already told them to go in. They just needed a leader to say, let's go. But then they led it to the, they led it to the group and the group freaked out and before you know it, they're wandering in the wilderness. So, so you do see some of those, but here's the thing about spiritual leadership, and I lay it before you for consideration. Any form of biblical uh, church government is not as important 
as the character and integrity of those entrusted with spiritual leadership. The order the government can take different forms within the pale of Scripture, but if the wrong people are in positions of authority, it will ruin any church, and it will ruin lives. It's the character and integrity of the men and women that are in spiritually. The real need is for men of character, wholly surrendered to the call of God upon their lives. And I believe God is looking for leaders who serve, but also servants who lead. It shouldn't be surprising to us that our leaders serve among us. It shouldn't be surprising to us that, that we are caring and we have a care and concern for the flock of God. It shouldn't be surprising for us to serve together with our pastors and their wives. And that, that we are the church and we should serve together. You never arrive to a position. You, the church is not like the world. And we looked at this in different Bible studies on leadership. But the church is not like the world where you're climbing the ladder. And like there's an entry-level position. Okay, I'll, I'll go an entry-level, but then I'll pay my dues and then I can move up and move up and move up. Jesus taught that the way up in God's kingdom is down. That you want to be great in God's kingdom, then what? You be the servant of all. And so the greater the responsibility that's entrusted to you, what the, world in, what the world defines as going up the ladder, God says, I'm giving you more responsibility and trust for my people. You're not going up, you're going wide with the opportunity to serve more. And the Bible says that if you're faithful with the little, you'll be ruler of more. But if you're unfaithful with what you've been given, even what little you have will be taken from you and given to who? The one who has more. The unfaithful lose their responsibility and who's it given to? The faithful. And that's a spiritual principle. Today on Abounding Grace, we've listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 1 Peter. If you joined us late or would just like to give this a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Have you had a chance to download our app? This is another great way to take in the teaching of God's Word and download it for free today by searching for Ed Taylor. Well, Pastor Ed, let's say someone listening right now believes God is calling them to spiritual leadership. What are some good next steps for them to take? Well, I'm always encouraged by those that want to serve the Lord and want to take leadership. They sense that God's calling is on their life and they want to step into that. So there's a few things to consider. Number one, are you already serving in your local church somewhere? Uh, stepping up to serve is kind of like a prerequisite, right, to taking on leadership. Because the Bible says even for deacons, Paul told young Timothy that the deacons first must be tested or proven. There is a sense where you you are going to learn spiritual leadership by uh, stepping into service. And so, number one. Number two, talk to your overseer or leader or pastor in your church, maybe an elder that oversees you, and talk to them about your desires and you've sensed that calling on the Lord. I would suggest a couple of things. One, I did a series on the spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12, uh, specifically on leadership, ministration. I would encourage you to go to our website. You can find those studies either in Romans or in the spiritual gifts might be a topical uh, section there. And I encourage you to listen to those and see what God affirms in your life, number one. Number two, begin to read uh, a great uh, book to start reading is On Being a Servant of God by Warren Wiersbe. Another one is Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. If you email me, ed 
at edtaylor.org. I'll send you a list of resources that you can start reading uh, and growing in. We call it our discipleship reading list. Uh, and it is all the books that I wish somebody would have recommended to me as a new believer and to help me grow. We use it in our school ministry here as well. So email me, ed at edtaylor.org. It has to be .org uh, because the other uh, domains are owned by a professional Santa Claus. So it's ed at edtaylor.org. Bless you as you step into leadership and servanthood in God's church. Well said. Good advice there, Ed. Thanks. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. Even just a quick hello telling us the station you listen to means a lot. Maybe you didn't realize it, but Pastor Ed reads them. Let us know how we can pray for you, too. You can email us through the website at aboundinggraceradio.com. And please remember, Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord to provide and guide. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Lee Strobel's excellent book, The Case for Heaven. This is a must-read for anyone who wonders what's next after we die. As a journalist, he investigates all the evidence for life after death. Call us now at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 1 Peter. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.